What's up, folks? David Soto Jr. here, and this is the David Soto Jr. Podcast. What's up, folks? Welcome to episode 86 of the David Soto Jr. Podcast. I'm your host, David Soto Jr. What is the one thing that I ate that lowered, that regulated my blood sugar? I didn't just lower it. Right? You can just not eat and lower your blood sugar. What did I eat that that regulated? Like it would go up. Like oh, I ate something that is high high sugar content. Insulin takes care of it, brings it back down. Boom, I'm back down to like I'm maintaining like one ten, one eleven. Um, my non fasting blood sugar. The one thing I ate, started eating that regulated my blood sugar was fruit. And I like fruit. I love fruit. But it has sugar in it, and I'm trying to stay away from sugar. Right? Right. I started eating just was it last week. Last week. I started eating fruit. I'm wearing my continuous glucose monitor. And I honestly have been taking care of myself a little bit better for like probably three weeks as far as eating nutritious food specific to helping my liver and cleansing my liver and um, giving my liver a break. So I don't know if it's a... Uh, accumulation of me eating a salad every day, kale salad every day, or was it just a fruit? I kind of feel like the fruit, everything else my body appreciates, but as soon as I started putting fruit into my body, it showed me, it showed me some love. Uh, I started, I, I would eat a nectarine, um, and an apple. I was at I was at the grocery store. I'm like, you know what? Now, I even stopped <clears throat> to get something oh, for my salads, right? And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna eat a nectarine. I'm gonna eat an apple. And I got them one each, and got it in the car, <clears throat> and I ate it in the car while I was driving home. And it was awesome. So I did it again the next day. <clears throat> stopped and got a, I think another nectarine and another apple. And then the next morning, on my way to work, getting ready for work, excuse me, I was like, I'm going to take some apples to work. Took apples to work, ate a couple apples at work. Um, and I'm like, this is awesome. I love fruit. Why am I uh, denying myself this? Well, I've been denying myself is because of what I thought I knew about diabetes and controlling your blood sugar and diet. Uh, it's low carb, right? Go low carb, don't eat sugar. Go low carb, you're going to reverse your diabetes, which I don't have diabetes yet, but I'm like almost there. Like A1C levels are almost to the point where you're diabetic. <clears throat> so it's been a concern of mine. For a couple of years now. Um, why low carb diet doesn't work? 
is essentially because you're starving your liver of glucose. And for some people, the desire to eat sugar is too much. And they, it's not that they lack the willpower. <clears throat> it's that the desire is too strong. And that desire is not you being weak. It may not be like an addiction that I thought. Again, uh, last episode, I'd say that I went to uh, Overeaters Anonymous. A lot of people don't think that you can be addicted to food or sugar. I disagreed. Maybe I still disagree. I don't know. But what if... Those cravings are your body telling you that it needs it. Cravings do subside when you're on a low-carb diet, but not completely. Interesting for me is if I do low-carb, I will dream about bread and cinnamon rolls in well, other pastries, but mainly cinnamon rolls. And now against social media, like, oh, doing a low-carb, uh, dreamt about cinnamon rolls last night, and then people would eat, yeah, it happens to me too, it happens all the time. I dream about stuff, and I dream about pancakes. Like, people comment back and forth. It's not uncommon <clears throat> to be on a low-carb diet and dream about eating some sugar. Um, in fact, one of the best books I've ever listened to, it was an audiobook. uh, performance was great, but the book itself, the content is awesome, is, um, Endurance by Alfred Lansing, and, uh, Ernest Shackleton took a group of men to be the first to traverse the Antarctic, uh, Antarctica on foot. They both got stuck in ice. The ice uh, expanded and more water froze and it started to uh, crush their boat. So they had to get off and walk out of there. Towing boats. They were on a big ship. They had boats with them that were on the ship. They took those boats off the ship and they pulled them over the ice and snow. All kinds of adventures uh, ensued. Read the book or get the audiobook. Highly recommend it. Uh, but one thing that I remember, one of the things I remember specifically from that book was that these men lived off of seal. Seal meat, seal blubber. Um, that's all they had. They had a. They had very little protein. They had mostly fat. Um, because the food they traveled for so long, the food that they had with them ran out. So they would send, they had a couple of guys would go out and find a seal, <clears throat> whatever they could find, they would eat, but they was, seals were more abundant. There was easy to, uh, share because of their size and the oil would be used for lamps and, uh, cook stoves. They'd render the fat. Basically, they lived off of fat 
for the several months that they were out there trying to survive and trying to get off the ice and be rescued. The thing about people in those days is they kept journals. And that's why we have a lot of the history we have is for because the people kept journals. And those journals got collected, they got read by different people, books were published, like this one from Alfred Lansing. In the journals, people talked about a lot of things. But one of the things that they talked about was what they were going to eat when they got home. And for most of them, or I don't remember, it was all of them, but for most of them, it was sweets. It was pies and cakes and pastries. That's what they dreamt about. That's what they fantasized about. That's what they were looking forward to. Now, is that an addiction? Are you? It's all out of, completely out of your system by this point. Right, so we think of addiction, we think of a, a, a drug that's in your system, your body craves it, you want more, you get more. When that wears off, your body wants more of it. How do you get rid of it? <clears throat> you go without, you abstain until it's out of your system completely. But there's still always that desire to, the desire is always there, right? Um, but the thing is, is that dope or oxy or cocaine are not necessary for your body to function. You get it out of your system, you quit, you stay away from it. You know it's something you don't need. Or your body knows it's not, it's not something you don't need. Uh, psychologically or mentally or habitually you may want to do things you may have these triggers but your body doesn't need it to function so <clears throat> your body needs glucose yes it can make some uh, but your liver is where gl glucose is stored and when it's empty it tells you that it's, it's empty and it wants to be replaced. And it may need it to function as well. Uh, you get it all out of your system, you're still going to have cravings. They might not be as strong, but there's always that lurking in the back of your mind. You're going to dream about it. You're going to want it. You're going to have desire. It's going to be hard to pass up. Um, that's why. Going low carb doesn't necessarily work. To beat diabetes. Of. Uh, I started eating fruit, broke the law of don't eat sugar, even if it's natural sugar. If you want to control your blood sugar, if you want to control your weight, don't eat any sugar, don't eat fruit. 
<clears throat> even when I was a paleo guy, I was like fruit's not even paleo because it's geo because of it's regional and it's seasonal and you can never you just go to a grocery store and get dragon fruit. Whatever. Who gives a fuck? Um the best results I ever got on paleo was when I first started and I eat fruit. All the time. Every day. Not only that, but I had to give up cream and sugar in my coffee. I gave up cream easily, quickly, but I had to wean myself off sugar. So here I am every fucking morning putting sugar in my coffee. One of the rules is no added sugar, but I was doing it anyway so I can, so eventually, so I'm putting sugar into my body first thing every day. And this is the point of, of my paleo diet experience where I'm losing the most weight that I, that I ever have, that I'm first time in my adult life going, having, looking too big in the clothes that I'm wearing, that I have to actually buy new pants and buy new shirts and go down to extra large shirts. <clears throat> my, my blood sugar and, and, and blood work was under 100. Fasting blood glucose was under 100. Everything about my life at that time, my health, I'm sorry, everything about my health at that time was improving, was getting better, was getting to places that I've ne never been before. And I was, not only was I eating fruit, but I was actually putting a couple packets of sugar in my coffee every morning. That's when I got the healthiest. Things started to go to shit when I went to eliminate those things. Eliminate fruit. Eliminate just ha eating so much fruit that I was full. And, would, and that would end up being my dinner. I, I, when I wanted to get an even... Instead of being patient or being satisfied with where I was, I tried to take it to the next level and started eliminating fruit. And that's when things got rough. Um, no, so I don't know what's going to title this thing. <clears throat> uh, but one of the things I have here is to talk about it, it, genetics. Now, I'm supposed to be genetically predisposed to have diabetes because everyone in my family has diabetes. My grandparents, my aunts, my uncles. Um, all of my grandparents, I think. And of course, when I got married and was my wife got pregnant, or well, she was pregnant first, but whatever. Um, her food aversions did not help. Her food aversions and cravings did not help me stay on my uh, paleo diet. 
and oh, what was I doing? Oh, I started gaining weight. My A1Cs, my blood, my blood glucose, and my A1Cs started just skyrocketed, and I was like, oh man, I'm gonna be diabetic. No wonder, because it's in genetics. It's in my family. I'm I'm so prone to diabetic that just a just you know looking at things is gonna sugar is gonna cause me to uh, be diabetic, and that's why I've been so concerned about my health the past couple of years is because the blood work is showing that I am not doing good. Never mind that I w got to a weight that was the most I've ever weighed in my life, but the blood work was really what motivated me. Um, so I like, yeah, makes sense. It's genetics. Well, guess what? Yes, my aunts, my uncles, my grandparents, all my grandparents, my grandma, everyone has diabetes. But guess who doesn't have diabetes? Is uh, my parents, both of them. In their 60s, have never had and do not have diabetes. Uh, so, it, can it be genetics? Is it, can we blame genetics? I don't know. For me, I did blame genetics. But if the two people who are actually responsible for my DNA and that made me don't have diabetes, and, and, and I am like one percentage point away from or, or tenth of a percentage point away from being a diabetic I don't think that has anything to do with them necessarily another thing is we associate diabetes with obesity and uh, you have two kinds of grandmas right you have the skinny and fragile ones and then you have the, the big ones I had one of each right they both had diabetes. And skinny people can get type 2 diabetes. And why do we associate that with fat people get diabetes, um, but not skinny people? Wrong. Skinny people are, ooh, I don't have a number, are very prone or as prone or almost as prone to get diabetes as someone who is obese. Uh, so here's the thing. What if diabetes, what if your blood sugar is the tool to tell you, hey, something's wrong? Right? It's not that your yeah, high blood sugar does have a negative impact on your body, on your kidneys, on your extremities. Uh, there's no doubt about that, right? But if it, it's elevated, and you can know, and you notice that, it might be because it's telling you something. Like, hey. Get some shit together. You're not doing well. Um, 
And then if your goal is only to lower that number, so maybe you take some medicine and get that number lowered and you're like, okay, I'm good, I'm good. Um, but what you essentially did is took the battery out of the carbon monoxide detector. So I try to dummy things down because I feel like that's how I learn. And then I relate this information to people and it just so happens at such a basic level that they understand it. So right away, I try to think, how can I break this down to make sense to me? And it's carbon monoxide detector. You take the battery, the carbon monoxide detector is going off saying, hey, something's wrong. You're going to die. And you decide like, oh, what's that beeping? I got to make it stop. So you take the batteries out of the carbon monoxide detector and then your beeping goes away. Well, what didn't happen was you didn't address the problem. You didn't address the real problem. You made that number go down. Um, and in the meantime, your house is filling up with carbon monoxide and you're slowly dying. But hey, those numbers are down, you know? Or that beeping is down. So what may be the actual cause, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even a well-educated person. Um, but it doesn't mean doctors and well-educated people don't make mistakes or aren't wrong sometimes or don't know. Just basically don't fucking know. What does your liver do? What good is your liver? What We don't know. We've never looked at one. We've never looked at one that... We've never been able to monitor, right? You don't see the liver function. You could uh, do ultrasound. You can hear your heartbeat or I mean, you can see it on the, you can see your heart beating. I don't think you can like see your liver working. Right? You don't necessarily know how important it is because you never see the thing that it does. Obviously your heart pumps blood, your brain if it's not working, you can tell, right? It's important for being, for intelligence and and being able to do things. But is your liver important? The answer is yes. I believe it is yes. And high blood sugar is an indication that your liver needs help. And the thing is, is that your liver needs glucose to function and when you starve it of that glucose it limits its capacity to do what it's supposed to do because it just doesn't have the energy right it makes sense so as soon as i started eating fruit i started putting that glucose back into my liver and my liver was to able to better maintain or protect the pancreas I don't know. There's a lot of stuff there that it, it doesn't make sense to what we've always known. And that's why I say, I don't know what the title is, but 95% of what I know about diabetes is wrong. I'm doing the opposite of what I thought I should do. I'm eating fruit. I'm eating now, I'm eating a lot of it. 
my blood sugar is regulating. I'm not drastically losing weight, but I am slowly losing weight. I'm around 290 pounds. I was the other day. Hope I, I want to just. I want to hit 289. I want to go under uh, 290. But I've been maintaining 300 for a couple years now. And even though I did drop 20 pounds, going uh, strict ketogenic diet. Um, it didn't last. I fell off the wagon hard and everything just resumed. So 95% of what I know or what we know about diabetes is wrong. What is the 5%? What is the 5%? Of the stuff that is right. These are numbers are just completely made up by me. But I'll tell you. The 5% that we know about diabetes that is correct. Your mother already knew. Right? Your mother already told you as a child. That's the good stuff. Right? That's the beneficial stuff about what we know. Or what's going to help us. And that's don't eat too many sweets. That's it. Don't eat too many sweets. Reese's peanut butter cups are delicious. Cinnamon rolls are delicious. Pie, pumpkin pie is delicious. But there's not much to it. Not much more than what you were told as a child. That are you restricted as a child don't overdo it don't eat too much of these things no one has ever ate too much fruit no one has ever got diabetes by eating too much fruit I bet it's just the opposite Right, I. There's no, oh my God, he had a heart attack. He was so obese. I told him not to eat too much watermelon, but he did. He just kept eating watermelon. He didn't even care. It doesn't happen. Nobody gets sick. Nobody gets obese. Nobody gets diabetes. Nobody uh, has kidney disease, gets Alzheimer's from eating too much fruit. It's from eating the stuff that you were told as a child not to eat too much of. It's from eating too much of that. Growing up as a, it's just growing up as a child when you because you're limited on those foods, 
for me anyways, it was like, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to eat as much of this stuff as I want. Well, I did, and this is where it got me. What should you do? If none of this stuff that we've known about diabetes works, what should you do? I look at it this way because my last podcast episode is about how diets don't work. I look at it this way. Add nutrient-dense foods to your diet. You know what those are. If you don't know what they are, uh, you could do what I did and, and, and look up what your health concerns are and what foods aid in reversing that. So if you, like me, like, oh, I'm concerned about my liver, what foods are going to help me? Or I'm concerned about inflammation, what foods are going to help me? I'm concerned about, and then you'll notice that it's mostly just vegetables and fruits are these things that are going to help you. Do a little bit of looking. Find out what's good for you. Well, you have eczema. What's what food is good for eczema? All right. Um, find out. Do a little bit bit of research. If somebody's wrong, if somebody says, "Oh, uh, you know, mangoes are good for eczema," and then, and then they turn out to be wrong, what's the worst could happen? First of all, I get to enjoy delicious mangoes. I will put tahini on it. Uh, but you get to enjoy mangoes and you are still putting beneficial nutrients into your body. Um, add nutrient dense food to your diet. And I would say eat. I do that by eating a salad every day. I make a kale salad. I add leafy, just leafy greens. I chop them all up, put a little bit of uh, cranberries or apple in it. Something I wouldn't do in the past because I don't want that sugar, right? But a uh, little oil, a little vinegar, a little oil, a little lime juice. And I even do a blue cheese day. I'll cut up all the uh, the kale. I'll cut up some arugula, some other stuff, just all stuff that you just d- doesn't sound appealing on its own. Add some blue cheese crumbles, add some tomatoes. Now, Is blue cheese and blue cheese dressing good for you? I don't know. But if it wasn't for blue cheese and blue cheese dressing in this particular day, I would not be consuming an entire bowl full of nutrient-dense greens. This is why diets don't work. You're going to restrict yourself to like, oh, only eat gross things. Here's the thing. Don't eat gross things. If something doesn't taste good, don't eat it. Because there's a good chance it's your body telling you not to eat it. You force something down. Here, I oh, I'll give you an example. I know that garlic is good for you, so I've been taking it like it was a supplement. I just cut off a little piece and take it like it's a, a, a pill. Became, it, it, within a day or two, when I was taking it, it became hard to swallow and I couldn't get it. It was like stuck in my throat. That's a sign that I ignored. That's a sign that your body doesn't want it. Then the uh, past few days, I felt super, super bloated. 
and I was like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I eat? I'm like, this is not cool. I need to, I need to get some ceiling husk. I need to do something. And then I looked over and saw my little stash of garlic. And I remembered that this happened last time I tried it. Garlic's supposed to be really good. A prebiotic, helps probiotics, blah, blah, blah. So I, I started taking it in almost as if cutting it into like an oversized pill form and swallowing it. I did that before because of all the information I I got. I remembered it. I realized uh, the other day why I'm bloated is because of the, the garlic and that, that it had happened to me before and I forgot. So your body will tell you if it doesn't want anything. My point is, if you make something a little tastier, um, you'll be you can get these nutrients in that you wouldn't get. If you just had to eat a bowl full of kale and arugula by itself, you wouldn't eat it. And therefore, you wouldn't get the benefits of it. If you can put a little sprinkle of blue cheese dressing on there and blue cheese, uh, or, or my other uh, cranberries, sweetened cranberries or apples in your salad, you end up eating a whole bowl of nutrients. If you had to restrict and not eat those little little things that you would add to it, if you took those out, you wouldn't even eat it. So, if we go to my last episode, why diets don't work, one of the d- things is that it, why it doesn't work is this. Is that because, because you can't eat certain things, you will avoid other things. And those things are better for you. Those things provide more, are more beneficial than the negative impact of eating sweetened cranberries on your goddamn salad. If you like croutons, put croutons on your fucking salad. If that makes your salad better, then do it. Right? And we're not talking like iceberg lettuce salad. We're talking about kale. We're talking about spinach. We're talking about mixed greens. We're talking about arugula. Like, all these things that you would never get. When you think of a salad, you think iceberg lettuce, cheese, eggs, ham, right? Let's get real. We're talking about nutrient-dense things that you wouldn't normally eat. And if it takes a, takes a sprinkle of um, candied pecans to make, you, to make that stuff more palatable, then do it. Because if you, if you avoided the candied pecans... You wouldn't eat the salad. And that's where the benefits are, right? My advice to you, or what I'm going to keep doing for myself, is eat a salad every day and continually eat, put in as much nutrients into my body as I can. And then guess what happens though, folks? Guess what happens when you do this? Your cravings for stuff you're not supposed to eat, for stuff your mom told you not to eat, so much of your cravings for those things are going to go away because you're giving your body what it what it needs it doesn't say oh uh, uh, i need uh, i need something real quick i need my fix give me some quick sugar give me some quick glucose because your body is going to have the glucose it needs your body is going to get nutrients 
it's going to stop wanting things that aren't really beneficial to it. I am, and this wasn't a goal. It's just like, I'm done. I can't eat, take anymore. And that's coffee. I do two cups a day, one on my way to work, which I love. And then one when I get to work. Now, I used to drink coffee all day long. So, one after, when I get to work, one after work, one for my next meeting, one before I go to work or out in the field, or one to take with me to the field, then one after lunch, and then one late afternoon, and then one uh, after dinner. Like, I'm not bullshitting. I drink coffee all day long. Now I'm down to two cups. And not because I'm trying to quit. It's just like, it doesn't taste good to me after that. I have no desire for it. And that's the benefit of eating nutritious food. So you eat nutritious food. You get all these nutrients in there. Your body stops having these certain cravings for certain things that your mama told you not to eat. And then um, you avoid eating those things if you look at my last episode why do some diets work is because you stopped eating those sweets you stop having cravings for sugar for chocolate for all these things you stop having or no i'm sorry why diets sometimes work are because you don't eat those things because there's no diet that says eat cinnamon rolls every morning for breakfast like the the reason that diets work is they all are eliminating those things that your mama told you not to eat right there's the carnivore, vegan, vegetarian, paleo, blah, 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 blah. None of those include donuts, right? If you put nutrient-dense things in your body, it will stop wanting these things. When you stop wanting and you stop eating these things, you will start to lose weight. Also, when you put nutrient, when you put a big-ass bowl of salad and you eat that to get those nutrients, those raw, those raw nutrients in you're gonna get full you're gonna feel satisfied you're gonna eat less uh, portions of high caloric dense foods you know so if you have a pork chop mashed potatoes and broccoli first of all eat all your broccoli but once you eat all salad, you're like you're kind of you're gonna find like, I'm full. I'm full. Eat more nutrients. Eat less food, right? Eating stuff yourself with more nutrients. Your cravings, your desires, your your portion size—they're all gonna drop, and you're gonna lose weight, and your blood sugar is gonna be under control. I'm not telling you not to eat anything. I'm telling you, if you give yourself enough nutrient-dense food, you won't want to eat those things that make us fat, that make our blood sugar spike, that cause disease. Get those nutrients in as any way you can. Have you ever had a kale salad? No. Get a kale salad in you. All right. I think I covered everything. Folks, you can find me on social media at David E. Soto Jr., J. Arthur Jr. I'm out there. Um, 
what's coming in the future. I don't know. I don't know. But I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you.